Good evening, brothers and sisters. Today we will continue to look at the series of Joshua, picking up from Pastor Darren's uh, sermon on chapter 7 about the conquest of AI. Uh, no, that was the defeat of the conquest of AI. And before we continue, maybe let us uh, commit this time to God in prayer. Father God, I just want to pray, Lord, that you use me, my lips, to bring your message to your people. And we ask, Father God, that you bring discernment, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, and hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Just a little recap. Thus far, we have actually seen Israel um, cross the flooded Jordan River, right? On dry ground. And we also have seen uh, Israel's victory over the formidable city of Jericho. And then we encounter the outrageous failure of Achan, which led to the defeat of Israel at Ai. Whenever we read the book of Joshua, how many of you have read the book of Joshua? Oh, good. Now, whenever, I don't know whether you agree with me, but whenever we read the book of Joshua, there are always, we are always confronted with ethical questions in our mind. Right? Such as, why did God, who is love and kind, order the innocent children, animal and helpless women to be slaughtered together with the men of war? And why was Achan's family stoned to death together with him in his sin? And today, why can't we slaughter the wicked? Do you ask yourself these questions? <laughs> now, in today's passage from Joshua chapter 8, we see Israel's victory over Ai. Now, even in this chapter, we found quite ethical issues too, such as, why did God instruct Joshua to ambush the people of Ai? And is Joshua allowed to deceive the people of Ai by pretending to flee and then turn around to attack them? Why did God allow Israel to keep the booty and livestock this time instead of Jericho? Now, it seems that there are more questions than answers. And of course, I don't think we can answer them all. Now, these questions are really meant for those people who will attend uh, Bible class, you know, that the teachers can explain to you. So, maybe we can uh, start a class on ethics, you know, yeah. But please, don't try to ambush one another, okay? And don't deceive one another. <laughs> Always remember that Israel was at war. You know, in war, Biblical ethics don't normally apply. You know, um, I was uh, reading uh, this book by uh, Dr. Walter Kaiser Jr. And he said, war is God's ultimate but reluctant methods of treating gross evil that resists every other patient and loving rebuke of God. So, and he says, Christians may only be involved in just war. And then again, what is just is another big question. So, things like ambush 
or deceptions are really war strategy uh, that uh, Joshua used. So, my question I want to ask is, how did the defeat in battle of Ai turn into victory? That was the question I've been asking myself when I read this passage. So, first of all, it has to do with their covenantal relationship with God. Why did I say that? You know, it has to do with their covenantal relationship with God. Now, God is a covenant-keeping God. Okay? If you do not already know, God is a covenant-keeping God. Now, um, we take a little step back to chapter 7 again and look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. Joshua chapter 7, verse 11 says, God actually told Joshua that Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. They did not only take the devoted things, but they stole, which breaks the eighth commandment of God. And then they lied, which they broke the ninth commandment of God. The commandments are in the covenant. So that's the reason why God says Israel have transgressed God's covenant. And that's the reason why victory was not on their side. We also learned that, of course, Joshua quickly fixed the problem and restored that covenant with God by getting rid of Achan and his family. So the question I will now want to move on is, what is a covenant? And why is it so important to God? A covenant basically is an agreement between two parties, you know. A covenant can be established between God and man or man with man. In the time of Joshua, they will offer animal sacrifices and make vows to each other to establish a covenant. Now, a covenant is often sealed in blood, either the blood of the sacrifice or the blood of those who make the vow, right? And you can see that in the picture, I have a hand, you know, whereby they tie a rope around each uh, both of them and then there is blood flowing from their, their hands. Okay. Now, if either party breaks the law and transgress the covenant, the other party can actually do to the transgressed party as they did to the animal sacrifice. Okay? I repeat again. The person who is in this covenant can do to the transgressed party, the one who broke the covenant, as they did to their animal sacrifice. So what did they do to the animal sacrifice? They chopped it up, right? Yeah. God deals with us, God deals with us through covenant. No amount of tears or grieving can move God if we are not in covenant with Him. In the Bible, God hears His people. We always read in the Bible, God hears His people's cry. The Bible never says God hears the Amorites' cry or the Canaanites' cry or the Babylonians' or Egyptian cries and respond to them. God always responds to the cry of His people. Right? 
God Himself is the creator of the universe. And there's nothing, literally, nothing that can stand before Him. As He has created, so He has the right to annihilate absolutely everything. God is free to do anything He likes to His creation. Just like an artist has a right to destroy his own art piece if he's not happy about it. By establishing a covenant with creation, basically God is actually binding himself with an oath. By establishing a covenant with Israel, he is binding himself to Israel with an oath. Now God has absolutely no necessity to do that because he is the upper hand, you know. Why would he want to stoop down? But yet, that was what he did. When Israel broke covenant with God, God has the right to destroy Israel just like he did to Jericho and I. But he did not because they are special to him. Possibly because God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it is not without consequence. God's presence left Israel, if you can read in Joshua chapter 7, verse 12. God's presence actually left Israel. That's the reason why they could not win the battle against Ai. But amazingly, God gave Israel a chance to restore that covenant with him. And when Israel restored that covenant, God brought about that victory for the people of Israel. Therefore, Israel's failure, not the end. Right? God gave room for Israel to make it right again. God treats His covenanted people differently. Now, the first questions I want to ask us is are we in covenant with God today? Are we in covenant with God today? For some of us, mm, what is covenant? Never heard of it. And what has it got to do with me? You know? Yeah. And yes, like the people of Israel, we too have a covenant with God through Jesus Christ we are also given a chance to confess our sins to God and seek His forgiveness and then restore our relationship with Him. We are sealed by the blood of the Lamb of God. In Matthew 26, verse 27 to 28, in the celebration of the Passover, Jesus was at the upper room with His disciples. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Drink this, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Believers of Jesus are in covenantal relationship with him. We, you and I, are special people to God. So, whenever we transgress, like Israel did, we too have a chance to make it right with God. 
and restore that covenantal relationship with Him. Whenever I make a mistake, the first thing I would do is to come to God and say, I'm sorry. Is to come to God to confess my sin. Everything else can wait, you know, but my relationship with God cannot. Okay? We must always be in right standing before God, no matter what. And to those who have no covenant with God, He will show no mercy, just like the people of Jericho and I. No, this applies even to our friends or our family members or even some Christians in church who profess to be Christian but refuse to accept Jesus in their heart. They have no covenant with God. Now, if indeed we have that covenant with God, then let us not be afraid to come to God confessing our sins to Him and He will restore that relationship with us again. And there is no sin that is too great for the blood of Christ to wash away. Now, the second point I would like to suggest to you is that the battle belongs to God. Okay? The battles belong to God. Time and again, God told Joshua that the battle of the promised land belongs to him. He just didn't get it. Without God, the people of Israel cannot win any battle. Here, a flashback on Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 3 to 6. You know, um, this is at the time when God commissioned Joshua to replace Moses. And Moses said to the people of Israel, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land. And when he destroyed them, and the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. See how many of them I've underlined within just these short three verses that Moses repeated again and again that the battle belongs to God. Do you know that the Israelites were not trained soldiers? They were not even a nation yet. And they have no proper battle gear, except those that they may be duly from the army of the Amorites. You know, how they use it? How to use the sword? How to use the spear? They were not formally trained. They do not have, uh, like our SAF, you know, uh, they don't have. Yeah. So, they totally need to depend on God. Okay? And the people of the land, their hearts melted. We, we read a few times in Joshua. Their hearts of the people of the land melted, not because of Israel, no, but because of the God of Israel. 
Because God was with Israel. That's the reason why their hearts are melted. The moment Israel thinks that he can listen to a man's counsel and act on his own, failure ensues. And my second question for you to think about is what battle are we fighting today? Are we allowing God to fight for us? Or are we listening to man's advice on how to fight? Clearly, we see from Joshua chapter 7 and then this time chapter 8, the contrast between following God and following man. If God is calling us to trust Him and then let Him take over the battle of our life, do what Joshua and the people did. Confess our sins if, let's say, we have anything to do with man's wisdom and turn to seek God. Very often, we tend to make decisions without God in the picture. Sometimes we felt, hey, not necessary because it's just a simple uh, issue, a simple uh, decision I can make on my own. Ah. Don't need to disturb God. Lah. He's just too high and mighty to be disturbed. Not true. Okay. Now, I put here James chapter 4, verse uh, 14 to 17. James says, yet, the, the, the whole idea here is very often when we make decisions without God, and then James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. How many of us know what tomorrow will bring for you? We don't know. Right? And what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. First point, we will live. And then we will do this or do that. That's basically to have God in our picture every time we make a decision. James was uh, scolding these people who think that they can just go this place and that place and make a business out of that, you know, without God in their life. And my encouragement is that you put God in your life's equation. Right? Put God in your life's equation. Pray to God about many decisions you have to make. God do not want to be involved only in your spiritual life. God do not only want to be involved with you when you come to church. You know, God wants to be involved with you in every aspect of your life. After all, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. Every one of us belong to Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Be prepared to listen to God's instruction. We only need to dispossess and take up our inheritance. Leave the fighting to God. I know it's really easier said than done, but we have to learn to walk alongside God and listen to His voice. And of course, on the other hand, I'm not asking you to sit back, relax, do nothing. Right? Because Joshua and the people did not do that. They actively participated in the battle following the instruction of God as we read from today's passage. Right? So, 
come alongside God, work alongside with Him. Let Him be involved in your life. The third point I want to bring across today in this passage is that there is corporate solidarity. There is corporate solidarity. Now in today's passage, Joshua chapter 8 verse 26 says, But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. In today's passage, we see Joshua and Israel committed the city of Ai to total destruction, except, of course, the spoil and the livestock, which God permitted Israel to keep. Well, one of the key phrases when I read this chapter 8 is this, devote to destruction or commit to destruction. Actually, this is the key phrase that appears in the book of Joshua, at least for the first 11 chapters. You know, there are 13 times repeated in the first 11 chapters of Joshua, which actually records the conquest of the land. So why commit to total destruction? You know, we recall what uh, Pastor uh, Darren mentioned earlier in his sermon that the people of the land were a wicked bunch, unspeakably wicked to be exact. Okay. The cup of their iniquity was full. Okay. And, of course, also that Israel will not be influenced by the people of the land to sin against God. And of course, I guess the spoil and the livestock won't influence them to sin against God. That's why they can keep the spoil and the livestock. But sad to say, if you read on further into Judges and so on, the Bible tells us that not all the people of the land were annihilated. And God purposely left them behind to be a snare and a trap to turn the Israelite away from God. Another ethical question. Why? Why would God want to do that? Why would God want to tempt the people of Israel to sin against Him? I don't know, maybe a test? Test of their faithfulness? The mistake that Joshua and Israel made affects the generation down the road. Next week, Pastor Mabel will share about the deception of the Gibbonites. And this has bearing to the generation down the road. May I also add to pastor's reason for the total destruction of the people of the land, the idea of corporate solidarity. This is the guy I'm talking about, Dr. Walter C. Kaiser Jr. In the book, Towards Old Testament Ethics, I find it so fascinating to actually learn about all the Old Testament commandments, the ethics that comes along with it. Okay. So, um, Dr. Kaiser says, corporate solidarity means an individual is able to implicate the whole group 
either in blessing or in reprobate. Or a group can also function as a single individual through the one of its member who was designated as a representative of the group. I was reading uh, Judges chapter 1, sorry, yeah, Judges chapter 1 uh, this morning, and I was like, they were asking God, now that Joshua is gone, who else to take over, you know? Uh, who is going to conquer the, the rest of the land? And God says, Judah. So if you think about it, it must be, it cannot be the Judah that is the son of Jacob, right? That would, he have passed away so long ago. It must be the tribe of Judah. And then Judah said to Simeon, okay, that is another tribe, you know, come join me and let's go and fight and conquer the, the rest of the land. But surprisingly, the Bible used a singular um, pronoun, I. Come and join me. I will then, you know, join you to conquer yours. So it is, you can see that even within that, you know, Scripture do uh, show you the idea of corporate solidarity. So we see that in the command to annihilate the, every city in the land, we see corporate solidarity in that command of God to annihilate, annihilate everyone in the city of the land. And we also see that in Israel's defeat because of Achan. And we see that in Israel's victory when they obey God as one people. Why were the children, now you know why the children and the women were in the cities, even the livestock for some of them had to be destroyed? Because God see them as a whole, one single entity. Now today I wanted to, um, we emphasize a lot about individualism, the individuals. We personalize God and we need to encounter God for ourselves. There is nothing wrong with that, okay? This individualistic view, there's nothing wrong with it. But because God also deals with individuals like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But Dr. Kaiser said both individualism and corporate solidarity exist in the Old Testament. Both exist in the Old Testament. So my quest, last question to you is, is corporate solidarity still applicable to us today? Is corporate solidarity still applicable to us today? Since we talk so much about the individual. And we hear of phrases such as the body of Christ, the community of believers, the unity of the spirit. Rings a bell, isn't it? They ring a bell in our heads regarding corporate solidarity. Even the peace that we recite in every Holy Communion service reminds us of our corporate solidarity. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these disciples only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It is the corporate solidarity that makes us unique as Christians. Can we then do things on our own and think that we will not affect our fellow believers? We see that many times in the Old Testament that God punished the nation of Israel and Judah because the leadership did not stand up against injustice. In fact, they were the ones who were unjust, unjust. And inevitably, the people were affected by the judgment of God. And Achan is a case in point. God will punish the nation because the church does not stand up against injustice. Inevitably, we as the church will be affected by God's judgment on the nation, our nation. And the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, says judgment begins with the household of God, not the individual, the household of God. It is important for us to realize that as individuals, our actions do affect our community here. Likewise, our communal action or inaction does affect our nation. The nation of Israel was spared God's wrath because God had a covenant with the individual called Abraham. Judgment will come upon us as a church or as a nation if we condone the sin of an individual member or the sin of our nation as a corporate entity. Our former minister, uh, now seems to be the talk of the day, our former minister, Mr. Tan Chuan Jin, is not our church member, right? He's not our church member. But people know that he's a Christian. Are we then affected by the mistake he made? People outside of Christianity sees us as one. So are you prepared to answer your non-believer's friend why Christians can have extramarital sex? Have you ever thought of it? I don't know whether you have friends who ask you, hey, how come your Christian ah, can have extramarital sex? I think we need to prepare to answer this question, right? Yeah. So his mistakes does affect us, even though he's not from our church. Right? So corporate solidarity does apply to family and marriages as well. Therefore, there is a need for us to always bear in mind, okay? Bear this in mind, especially when we are tempted to sin. Think about the community that we are affecting before we do a rash act against God or against our fellow believers. We are not our own. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we belong to the body of Christ. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, 
all rejoice together. Think corporate. As I conclude, let us remember that we are victorious because firstly, we have a covenantal relationship with our God through Jesus Christ. Okay? We are a special people to Him and we can always come back to Him seeking His grace and mercy. And secondly, we are victorious because we allow God to lead the way for every decision that we make. We listen to God, submit to His decision, yeah, and let Him lead us in all our endeavour. And thirdly, we are the body of Christ, under one great Almighty King. Let us think corporate in everything that we do as a church. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that through your shed blood, you have put us in a covenantal relationship with you. Thank you that you are always faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness when we confess our mistakes before you. Lord, we are your people and everything we do matters to you. May we always lift up to you every endeavour and follow your lead as we better many things in our life, knowing that through you, we can be victorious. Lord, as we come to your table and partake of your body and blood, may we be reminded that we are the body of Christ. Help us to live in unity of the Spirit always. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.